Welcome to season three of the Myelin and Melanin podcast. I'm Dawn. And I'm Dana. We're just two black women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube. If you're a fan of the podcast, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron through our Patreon. Patrons can gain exclusive access to bonus content, giveaways, chances to join us on the Myelin and Melanin party line, and more. We'd like to thank our music producer, Shah Sevier, for providing our podcast music over the years. You can find him on Instagram at shah.sevier, and you can also find him on YouTube. Welcome, everyone, to episode 51. We are still coming off of the excitement of our 50th episode and the first ever Myelin and Melanin party line. I still can't believe it. It was so much fun. That was a fantastic conversation. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So if you haven't listened to it yet, um, people definitely listen to it. Yes, it was an excellent conversation. So um, interestingly, we've had a bunch of people reach out and ask how they could be a part of um, future party lines. Right. And uh, yeah. And so just to let people know how that might be possible, um, if you sign up through our Patreon as a patron for... $10 or more a month, you do have a chance to, I want to say win a spot, but you have a chance (laughs) to be on a future party line or to join us on a future party line. So please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash myelin melanin. Yeah. So yeah, it would be a great, great way to get more MSers involved in conversations that are important to us, I I think. All of us. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, this is really just like super, super exciting to start the year off this way because we are really thrilled to have uh, this wonderful, wonderful person on with us again. Um, He is an amazing neurologist. Uh, as well as MS specialist. And as Miss Tripping on Air said in our Party Line episode, he's kind of like a unicorn. <laughs> Remember when she definitely, said that? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, without further ado, we have to introduce Dr. Aaron Foster. All right. Welcome, Dr. Foster. Thanks for joining us again. Well, thank you so much for having me back. I love this podcast. It's super great to talk to both of you. Thank you so much. Yes, thanks thank for you. joining us. So recently, Don and I started this conversation, um, and we posted a video um, on our YouTube channel about it as well. And I don't know what better way to put it than just like, what's TMI? What's too much information? So Don is the type of person who, when she gets her MRI scans, she wants to read and, dis- and dissect the entire thing. <laughs> So she wants to know exactly where the lesions are, what might, you know, depending on where a lesion is placed or develops, what that's going to affect, what are, you know, all of that. She just wants to know, yes, the nitty gritty. Me, on the other hand, I don't want to know. So, of (laughs) course, when I get an MRI, I want to know if 
there's any new activity, if my MRI is stable, I want to know the basics. So, you know, if something is going on, if I, you know, need to change my DMT or, you know, things like that, I want to know. Yeah, like but, drag, Dragnet, just the facts. Yes, <laughs> exactly. But I don't want to know exactly where the lesions are. I, I don't want to know because the way that I see it, I like I'm the type of person, I have a lot of anxiety. And if I know that I have and I'm just making this up, a lesion at T5 of my thoracic spine or whatever. And I find out that that has something to do with, I don't know, cognition and memory. I'm just hypothetically talking about this. I'm going to think that every time I can't think of a word for something, that that's that stupid lesion and somehow I'm losing my mind. Like I would totally go down a rabbit hole yep. and it's, for me, self-care is not knowing everything. I can't, sure. I personally can't deal with it. Um, but again, Dawn, if you want, I'm sorry to put words in your mouth. Dawn's the opposite. Yeah, I, it's it's a, like I said in the in our video, it's a coping mechanism. I need to, if, if for example, Dr. Boster, if you are my neurologist and you say, okay, well, you've got lesions T1 to T12. I'm like, okay, so that explains why I'm having my bladder issues at T7. Yes, yes, yes. I, like <laughs> I have to feel that and digest it and know that this is going on. This right. is happening. And like so, maybe you know, this, this is, this is part of the reason why I love you guys. You know, this is, this is very, very real world. This is the, the real deal Holyfield when it comes to surviving and thriving despite a chronic condition and you two gals are in some ways representing a spectrum or a continuum um, uh, that that is not very commonly discussed mm -hmm. uh, and, and so i'm loving this and and really what i'm hearing is each person and this is certainly true in my clinic each person deals with this kind of information in their own way and there isn't a right answer right it's not as if one of you is dead wrong and, and should feel shameful and the other one is right. correct and gets right. an award. You know, it, but what I think is really key is, is for you, you figured out what you need and don't need. And, you know, sometimes the, the, the sometimes people have trouble expressing that or they don't actually fully understand it. Uh, you know, right. in, in my own practice, and we'll use your example of an MRI, when I, when I get an MRI, when, when, when a patient has an MRI that, that we're going to be discussing that day, that's exciting to me. You know, that's a thing that, that you know, that's a data point that we're going to really look at carefully. Right. But before we start, I ask the patient, would you like to see your scan? Ah. Now, oftentimes the patient says, well, hell yeah, I do. I just, right. you know, paid for it and stood in the scanner. Gosh darn it. I want to see, you know, right. but, but some, but sometimes they say no. And, and you know, what you're saying resonates with me. If, if it gives you a sense of solace to understand or to see or to, to, to have a, a, um, a deeper understanding of an aspect of the disease, that is fantastic. Conversely, if that creates anxiety and you would do better, you know, sort of relegating that knowledge or that discussion to the person that you're partnering with, your doctor, mm -hmm. that's another way of dealing with it. And I'll use a non-medical example. I have a financial planner, or her name's Sam, and she's the bomb. I, I love mm -hmm. Sam. And I meet with Sam, I'm supposed to meet with her quarterly, but I don't. 
Um, <laughs> you know, I go and see her once or twice a year. And, and she always says, would you like me to show you your portfolio? To which I say, no. Because if, if I looked at it, it would A, overwhelm me, B, make me nervous. And, and going through all the graphs and pie charts and stuff doesn't help me feel more confident or better or what have you. I trust Sam in, in, intrinsically. And, and so I am very comfortable relegating all of that stuff to her. And, and uh, just like you were saying, and if there's something that needs to be done, say, hey, we have to make this trade. Okay, great. Right. You know, Now, I have many friends who think that's sort of the opposite of what they want to do. They want to understand each stock, each bond, each trade. They want to know what the market's doing in Japan, what the market's doing in the United States, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I don't think one of us is right and one of us wrong. Mm -hmm. We're both, in, in this example, having our money managed. But some people feel a sense that they, you know, and, and I think as a clinician delivering care, it's incumbent upon me to make sure that I know the way that you want to proceed. Right. You yes. know, I have some people when, when we, when I do a neurological examination, I have some patients that says, well, what does that just show you? What does that show you? Other people, if I start to explain to them what I'm looking at, they'll kind of look at me and say, doc, do you mind just doing it and not telling me about it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, and I think it's, it's, if I had a one size fits all approach, some of the people that I talk to would either feel like I wasn't sharing or B, feel like I was oversharing to use your term too right. much information. Um, right. Exactly. And that's what it, we were talking about yesterday. Not to cut you off. I'm sorry. We were saying, I think it's important to develop that relationship with your physician or your neurologist yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. so yeah. that they understand, hey, I, am I am I going to make you go down a rabbit hole with this information right. or am I withholding and it's going to make you angry? So then we have a communication issue. You right. know what I mean? You're, you're exactly yeah. right. And, and, and it's the same thing with so many intimate relationships and, and the relationship we're discussing um, is, is an intimate one, you know, the mm -hmm. provider and the, and the patient, that's an intimate relationship. And so creating some guardrails, boundaries, um, you know, rules of the game it, as it relates to how you communicate, when you communicate, what you communicate is relevant, you know, and it, and it, it there's also a piece of this that's on me. So for example, I, I might look at a laboratory Okay. And, mm -hmm. and it's outside of the range of normal on the, mm -hmm. on the piece of paper, you know, let's say that the upper limit of normal in this make-believe lab is a 10 and mm -hmm. it's an 11.2. Now I know from my medical training and experience that that's actually not relevant. It doesn't matter. Right. But the person who has not gone to medical school and residency and fellowship, et cetera, they just see a range up to 10 and then they see a number above 10, which logically means that's abnormal. Right. Right, and, and so I have to grapple with how do I answer that question? Some people I can just say it's within the normal. It's it's slightly above normal, but that's normal. That doesn't mean anything bad. And the lab right. has to have a cutoff. Don't sweat it. Mm -hmm. Other people, I have to go into a much greater detail about what that lab is actually telling us and why I don't think it's important. Right. Um, but if I ubiquitously shared the latter with every patient. It would, it would not help a lot of people, you know, and, and so I have to be sensitive on my end to what you need to receive. Cause it's not about me. I already know the answer. I looked at the lab. It's right. about me conveying it to you in a way that's meaningful to you. Right. So, so I, I think this is very, very germane. And, you know, if, to your point earlier, if you don't game this out ahead of time, 
you could have a, a provider doing an excellent job who is perceived as not doing an excellent job. Yes. Or you could have a patient who is very invested in their care. They really want to be a good partner in their own care, but they aren't perceived that way by right. the provider. Right. Um, and it, it, you know, and, and, and so obviously we don't want to go down that path. We want, we want a harmonious, intimate interaction. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I think that is important because, you know, when I say, I don't want to know, of course I care about my scans. I want to know the basics. Is it stable? Do we need to change yeah. something? You know, but yeah. I think that for some people it sounds like well you don't care you're not like you don't care about your disease you're not don't you, you know, want to know what patient. it shows? come on exactly. girl yeah exactly. right <laughs> exactly. and it's like no you know, i just know myself and i'm yep. gonna end up in a depression if i possibly that's exactly right too much. you know there there are we could speak for a moment um it, with some gross generalities mm -hmm. there is a generation of patient my grandparents age and, and this is a gross generalization. Mm -hmm. There's more, you know, there's, there's more exceptions to the, the rule maybe, but, but doctor knows best. Mm -hmm. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do, doctor. Right. Now, I, and, and then there, there is another gross generalization and, and I'm, I'm using these generalizations on purpose, but mm -hmm. uh, of the, of the so-called millennial. And I think we now know millennials hate being called millennials, but, <laughs> but I'm talking about young folk. And, and a lot of people of that generation they they have Dr. Google in their hand while talking to me mm -hmm. and and they want to fact check and they want to understand. And and of course, you know, I, I use these gross generalizations. Everybody's an individual. And so I, I think we have to we have to have that conversation. How do you want to hear about this? You know, what, what, what commonly happens when I say, would you like to see your MRI? If the patient says no, thank you, the spouse or the parent or or the friend says, well, I want to see it. Right. And so we may actually turn the computer so that the patient doesn't see it to honor their request. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, and the spouse or the partner, the, you know, care partner, what have you. And I look at it together mm -hmm. and you know, it, it, it you know, it, it doesn't take very long to do. And, and to your point, we can still, we can still convey, Hey, look, the punchline, everything's cool. Right. Or the punchline, we see something new. We're going to have to act on it. Right. Well, you know, and for to Dana's point about self-care, when I found out that I had lesions, like when my neurologist said, hey, this is what's going on. all of, And I said, what? I didn't know I had thoracic yeah. all the way down, lesions yeah. all the way to T12. Like, are you kidding me? I'm like, what yeah. does this mean? Yep. And so then when she started talking to me and I said, okay, so now this is making sense. And yep. she, I was having terrible issues with my bladder and she was like, I'm going to send you to a, to see a urologist and I need you to, to like figure that out with that, with that specialist. And I said, yep. okay. And so that was self care for me. Like I was able to go to the neurologist or the urologist and say, okay, well, this is what's happening. I have MS and my neurologist had spoken with her and they, they were, you know, in communication and knew how to yes. To attack the issue and so then i had to make a decision do i want to do self catheterization or not or like take medication i don't, yep, I don't yep. it was up to me to decide at that point and so that sure. that to me felt like okay this is self-care because i am i know exactly where this lesion is located and this is helping me like conceptualize why this is and happening. what was my example yep. <laughs> yeah you, oh, like, so, so you you felt. I mean, in some ways, what we're really getting at is empowerment. Yeah. Right? And, yes. And, and really, it's based on self advocacy, advocating yeah. for yourself, saying, 
you know, hey, doc, I want you to go through that with me. Or, hey, doc, I don't want you to go through that with me. Um, which is a piece of self-advocacy, which then translates directly into feeling empowered, either because I now have a better, deeper understanding mm-hmm. of of the of the what's going on, or because I have trust in the person that I'm partnering with, my my clinician, right. and and they got me. And and yes. I I think the only take home, like if someone's listening to our podcast right now, is is to have the sense of self-advocacy to tell the clinician what they prefer. Right. You know. I have a tendency to overshare. Surprise! You know, I, mean, you know I, I have I have a tendency. I want to talk. I want to talk about the. the I want to talk about the personal private parts. Right. I want to talk about you know the yeah. the, the flub ups in in, in in the workplace or right. what have you. But I have to be sensitive to the fact that not everybody feels that way. I'll, I'll give you another example. And you know, talking about personal private parts, I want patients to know that I will discuss bowel bladder and sexual dysfunction mm-hmm. with them. And that's in our culture, that particularly in certain subcultures uh, within the United States, that's super taboo, right? That's not like a thing that you yes. talk about outside the home. So I consistently make comments which let them know that I, I, I am willing to have that discussion if there's a concern. And what I found is by just putting it out there, some people pick up on that and they're like, yeah, my hoo-ha doesn't work, right. you know, and then we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Other people, I, I think they hear me and they'll nod and stuff, but that's just not somewhere they right. want to go. So, and, and I'm okay with that. I just need them to know, them being the, the, the person impacted by MS, that it's on the table for discussion. Right. Mm-hmm. But if I, but if I, if I dug in, you know, every single patient, tell me about your intercourse, you know, what, <laughs> right. what have you, it would turn, it would turn off, uh, it would, it would, it would be inappropriate. It would turn off right. a lot of people. Um, you know, and conversely, if I'm like, uh-uh, I'm a neurologist, I do the brain, I don't do that, mm, I, would right. all, I would in turn alienate a bunch of people where that might be one of their major right. concerns. Mm-hmm. So I, I, think, I, I think, you know, a degree of sensitivity, both by the provider and by the patient, is required for this intimate relationship to be the best it can be. Right. There's an understanding that that has to be there. It has to be present. And, you know, and Dana's (laughs) point to to what I was saying about wanting to know, she said, okay, well, you've got a bladder issue. I let's say I'm not wearing a depends this day and I have an accident is knowing that that lesion is right there on my thoracic spine at T, whatever, is that going to clean up the accident? No, (laughs) it's not. Exactly. (laughs) And, and, you know, in some... In some people, you're exactly right. And so then the question becomes, is having the understanding of the neuroanatomy helpful? Yeah. You know, one of the right. reasons that I thoroughly enjoy and continue to make YouTube videos is because it's it's voluntary to watch. Right. So, for example, I made a, a recent video, maybe within the last couple of weeks, um, uh, where I actually talk about MRI lesions. You know, MRI lesions here tend to mm-hmm. do this. MRI lesions there tend to do that. And you know, based on our conversation, one of you might quote, eat that, right. up, you know, and really find the education valuable. The other one of you might avoid the right. video. And and I think that's beautiful. And that's one of the advantages to educating yeah. through YouTube videos is that it's selective, but, but the person selecting is the person who chooses or not chooses to watch. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, we had we had another discussion like this turned into a couple of hours i think we were I love it. we were I love talking it. about okay so relapsing remitting ms uh-huh. secondary progressive we know that there are several classifications 
um, of, of MS. We know this. Okay. That is a given. Yep. So most patients come to you, let's say, and they have relapsing remitting. Uh-huh. However, statistics and studies show that a great, a large number of patients are transitioning or they transition over a period of time into secondary progressive. So uh-huh. my question is, is it necessary to, or why is it necessary to let a patient know, okay, we looked at your scans, we're looking at your neurological exam, you've transitioned over or progressed over to secondary progressive. So Dana, Dana and I were like, okay, well, is it necessary for a clinician to let the patient know? And why? So I, 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 yeah. I love this question as well. Um, and I, I think I want to approach it mm-hmm. in three ways. Okay. So, so first of all, I think that my tendency is to be as transparent with the patient and the family mm-hmm. as they'll let me. And I think that we can't shy away from difficult topics and difficult news. It's, it's actually important, I think, that I am right. honest, right? Like I, I need to be honest. So, so in that regard, if, if there is something going on, and I'll use a different example, um, I'll use the example that the person is falling repeatedly despite having mm-hmm. done physical therapy, wearing ankle foot orthoses and using a walker, and I need to talk to them about the safety mm-hmm. of a wheelchair. Very, very yes. difficult topic. But to not bridge that discussion and say, hey, I, I feel that the only safe option is that we visit a wheelchair, you know, such a terrible thing to have to say. I have to be honest mm-hmm. about that. So so I, I want to put that out there. But But the second thing really gets more into the philosophy of what is secondary progressive right. MS. And, and I, um, in my, uh, in my role as pariah, don't agree with the majority of, um, uh, of, of thought mm. on the topic. So what I mean by this is all MS yes. is progressive. Yes. So all, that, right. There we go. All, yeah. So, so if you take someone who has clinically isolated syndrome, meaning by definition, they've had one attack, they uh-huh. haven't had a second attack. They don't technically meet definition for MS yet, although they're at high probability to develop MS. If you look at someone with CIS and you look at their brain volume, it's accelerated in its, in its shrinkage. And if you look at them cognitively, and I don't mean like mm-hmm. work performance, I mean very, very subtle neuropsychometric testing, you will identify that even at the earliest time point, there is some mm-hmm. loss of function. Now, it's subclinical. It's not affecting their ability to do anything. And it may mm-hmm. never, but right. it's there. So, so it, really, talking about a relapsing phase and a secondary progressive phase, in my opinion, is a misnomer. It's, it's actually yes. inaccurate. And mm-hmm. if someone has a relapsing form of MS, which is defined as CIS, M- relapsing MS, or secondary progressive MS, they are someone who has had attacks and could mm-hmm. have attacks. That's a fact. Now, as an individual ages, as they get older, mm-hmm. you know, each year, the statistical likelihood that they have an attack goes down. So mm-hmm. people in their 60s are statistically less likely to have attacks than people in their, mm-hmm. their 20s and 30s. That's a fact. But they can right. still have them. And someone who has had the disease for 15 years has a higher probability of developing progression of disability independent from an attack. Meaning, hey, I haven't had an attack that made my left leg weak, but over the past year, my left mm-hmm. leg has slowly gotten weak, right? So all those things are true, but, but giving them a discrete 
you know, on October 13th, 19, that's, that's, that's not, that's not accurate. And, and the, the, the other thing which is tied into this, and I think it's, it's been unspoken on, on the podcast so far today is that this is tied into Mm. treatment because MS treatments, MS treatments were thought in the ancient days of yesteryear when we had only first line medicines to be ineffective Mm -hmm. in secondary progressive MS. And in hindsight, those medicines are not amazing at slowing progression. However, many of the newer medicines, the pills and the monoclonal antibody infusions that are out today do impact progression. Mm-hmm. They, they slow disability progression independent from attack. That is also a fact. And so I think that some of the reservations surrounding, uh-oh, please mm-hmm. don't tell me I have SPMS as if it was another stage of cancer, God forbid, is because there was a stigma and there was a concern for stopping treatment. Yes. And right. that's not based in science. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the American FDA and all of its wisdom recently kind of made up a term, secondary progressive MS with mm-hmm. activity. And so a lot of the labels for MS disease modifying therapies now include approved and relapsing forms of MS to include CIS, relapsing MS, and SPMS with activity. And what we think the FDA means by that is if you have a, rel- a relapsing form of MS, you've had attacks, but now you're having progression independent from attacks, and we think that it's secondary progressive MS, this drug, whatever we're talking about, is still, a pr- is still viable if you have activity, meaning new spots on MRI or new clinical events. And I have a major problem with that because maybe the reason you're not having spots or attacks is because the Mm. damn medicine's working. Mm -hmm. So like if you said like, you know, a sexually active woman with pregnancy, you know, that's the person that you'd put on, on birth control. Well, what about a gal who's sexually active on birth control and not getting pregnant? You don't want to take her off that because that's the reason she's not getting pregnant. So so I philosophically feel like it's a huge disservice to read too mm-hmm. much into these labels. And it, it, Dana, it really, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I just, I just feel like we can find our, part of the reason that we might feel trapped is because of a misunderstanding of what it means to have yes. secondary progressive MS. Mm-hmm. People still have an immune system. It's still overly active. They still have a nervous system. It's still functional. We still need to protect them. And so in some, in some ways, the punchline to what I'm trying to convey is it kind of doesn't matter because we don't want to stop their therapy. We, we don't want to, we don't want to stop the, the, the things that we're doing, not smoking, Mm -hmm. exercising as part of your lifestyle, eating a clean diet, supplementing low levels of vitamin D, and importantly, taking a disease modifying therapy that can do more than just decrease attack rate. It can do more than just decrease MRI spots. It can also slow the progression of disability. And we're not going to stop doing that just because someone now hasn't had an attack in five years. And we say, well, you know, we think this is transitioned. Yes. Thank you for that. And Dana had a good, I know. Thank you for sure. Because Dana had a good point the other day when we were talking or whenever we were talking about it, she was saying how it, there's this weird hierarchic, har- uh, hierarchy there. You know what I mean? Like between yep, yep, yep. SPMS and RRMS. Yeah, it, so, it, do you want to speak to that, Dana? Weird. It's like an here. unspoken thing in the MS community. Like when if somebody has RRMS, somehow that's better than SPMS. And of course we know uh, the bottom line, I guess, is exactly what you said before. It's all MS. It's all progression, period. 
regardless of what kind of right. MS you have. Yeah, it's all the same disease. And even I would go as far as to say that pr primary progressive MS is the same thing as relapsing MS. It just presents right. phenotypically differently. And it manifests differently. Yes. You know, so yeah. And, and so, we, you know, we, we can get, I think humans in general and neurologists in specific mm -hmm. love taxonomy, meaning we love to label things. Yes. You know, we, we love to, we, I mean, we like, you know, when we talk, we, we want to know the, the ethnicity mm -hmm. and the religion and the, you know, the, the schooling, we want to know all these details that we think mm. help put people in boxes. We just do this naturally as part of our lives. And, and I think we do this in neurology too. And if secondary progressive MS meant certain things like, Hey, that medicine has been unequivocally proven not to help, or this medicine has been proven to help that's different but we don't right. really have that with our drugs you know there's um there's a, a pill that was released last year they tried to get a secondary progressive label that was their, they mm -hmm. were actually trying to niche the market with a secondary progressive label and what they found when they looked at the study was the people in the study who did the best were the youngest people that had the most mm -hmm. attacks and new spots on mri mm -hmm. and so you know in, in the drug is now approved for clinically isolated syndrome for relapsing mm -hmm. MS and secondary progressive MS. The point here in, in an attempt at kind of niching the market, uh, the opposite was borne out that this drug works in relapsing mm -hmm. forms of MS. So I think, you know, the third point that I wanted to make about this is it goes back to the first thing we talked about. We have to talk to the patient about yes. how they want to understand things. Sometimes I will say to someone, not necessarily about this particular topic, but when discussing something, I'll ask them, do you want me to be professional and polite or do mm. you want me to be blunt? Right. And I don't mean it silly. I mean, sometimes people are like, please right. be professional and polite, <laughs> you know? Right. And sometimes mm -hmm. people are like, lay it on me, doc, be blunt, you know? And, and that has nothing to do with the information conveyed. It has everything to do with how does someone best receive information? And I can totally appreciate with the, uh, the, the historical stigma of secondary progressive mm -hmm. MS, um, uh, you know, why someone mm -hmm. would say, please don't label me that, please don't tell me that. But the reality is, the, the true scientific reality is, it doesn't make a difference. I mean, you know what, a, I, I'm gonna risk an analogy and, and, and mm -hmm. I, I hope people listening don't take it the wrong way. We all mm -hmm. remember the AIDS epidemic, yep. right? In the mm -hmm. 80s, mm -hmm. having, having AIDS was mm -hmm. profoundly stigmatizing, profoundly stigmatizing. Nowadays, at least in the medical community that I'm in, mm -hmm. it's way less stigmatizing. And I think some of that's tied into a better cultural understanding of what the disease is. Some of that's tied into the fact that we can now really mm -hmm. effectively treat HIV, but it's not the same cultural stigma that we once saw, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And, and I, I, I certainly don't want to try to draw some right. parallel where I'm saying that SPMS is anything like that. But, but culturally, I think that we have to evolve because it's, it's all the same condition, in my strong opinion. It just manifests phenotypically right. differently. I'm talking about MS Yes, it, it, it's right. interesting. Just in, you know, on social media, for example, when people ask, you know, you meet somebody who has MS, one of the first questions is, do you have... Uh -huh. Is it relapsing, remitting, or secondary progressive? What difference relapsing, does it remitting. make? It's I have MS. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, and I, I, I agree with you. And I think that it's going to take some, it's going to take, uh, uh, 
a grassroots cultural swelling of yeah. uh, of of, sh of change of shift to to get people to realize well look mm -hmm. if it's if you have CIS if you have relapsing MS if you have SPMS I'm still treating you right our goals haven't changed you know but you know to to bring it back to your original question which is so so poignant if someone says do you think I'm in a progressive disease right. state I will tell them what I think I mean if they're, you know right I mean right. I don't believe in hiding stuff from people, um, but I but my answer is never yes or no because I have to then explain how I feel about MS and what progression really means, and the fact that gosh darn it we right. can impact progression, like that's that's a treatable mm -hmm. thing in two thousand twenty. It is. It really that's is. That's so powerful. Yeah, it's it's important because otherwise you could get in this gloom and doom situation yeah. where you're like, well, shit, what's yeah. the point? You know, I yeah. nothing. <laughs> And, and I think if all you're dealing with is injectable medicines, mm -hmm. there may be some truth to that. You know, I'll tell you a very quick story. I, I had occasion to meet a general mm -hmm. neurologist that had a large MS practice and had been practicing since before the first DMT came out. And he, he embraced the first DMT when it came out and he never switched. He only used that one drug. And so I met with him, you know, and, and he started putting people on this drug in, in 93. And I met with him, you know, maybe a year or two ago. And he said something really powerful to me. Although I don't know um, if he grasped it the way that I did. He said, you know, these drugs don't work. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, sure, they decrease relapses and stop new spots, but they, they never slow progression. Now, when he said these drugs, remember, he only used right. one of the first line wow. agents his whole career. And so I said to him, sir, with respect, it's possible that maybe just that right. one drug doesn't slow progression. And he kind of shrugged and, and, and changed the, t the subject. But, but I think if you hearken from an era where we didn't have a, an understanding of the continuum of the disease and the only drugs available really didn't do very much in progression, you might, you might come to, a, to, to feel that SPMS is this terrible sentence you know, that you're given. But, 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 I, but I think we have to move past that. Um, we, we have to embrace right. what's currently true. <laughs> so, and it's, it's yeah. quite honestly a much better outcome. You know, it's a much better story. Well, I've known people in the past that I've come across and they're like, yeah, I have MS. And I'm like, oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, I have relapsing remitting. And I think presumably they think I'm right. never going to progress. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. that's where that... That thinking comes well, and, from. You know, and yeah. I, I, th I think so. You know, I mean, and I've literally had patients tell me, please, please, please don't yeah. tell me today I have SPMS. Again, I, I think that the, I think that the cultural understanding comes from like right. hearing about cancer. It was stage one. Now it's stage two, God forbid. Right. Like, like it's that right. and MS simply doesn't work that way. The, the reason that I am a student of my friend, Stephen Krieger's topographical model of MS or what I refer to as the leaking pool model of MS mm -hmm. is because it's honest. And you know, the, 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 the dropping water level, which is the functional reserve right. is always dropping from day zero, you know, and activity, whether that be subclinical below the surface of the, the clinical threshold or above it is always there. You're just not always privy to it. And there are time periods in the disease where mm -hmm. there will be more inflammatory activity earlier on. And there will be time periods in the disease where there's less inflammatory activity, but there's still progression mm -hmm. of disease, maybe a bit later on. It's still, it's, it's still in the same human being. They're still a person. Right. They still have goals and, and they want to live their life. 
and there's still things that can be done. So, so I, I really think efforts like actually what the three of us are doing in this very second of helping raise awareness and helping change the, 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 the discussion yes. is really where we need to spend our time. Yes. Wow, this yes. is enlightening. Thank Absolutely. you for that. Yes. I very much. I know. Yeah, I, I, I feel better. Do. You know what I mean? Do you, Dana? I, because, yeah. Thank you so much, well, Doctor Foster. Well, you know, you're you're welcome. I I thank you for for an opportunity to have the discussion. You know, and I think the take home right. is the same. Yep. We want to live our best lives. I want to live my best life. You you guys want to live your best lives. This is this is the reality of life. And and so if you're saddled with with um, a chronic, you know, incurable neuroimmunologic condition, multiple sclerosis. What are you going to do to right. optimize you despite that diagnosis? And and it's a it's a it's a moving target. Yes, it can change the focus of what you want to do can change. Yes, but it's but it's still very important, and we can see good outcomes. I there are some doctors, some MS neurologists that that do not want to see patients when they're um, let's say mm. secondary mm. progressive MS in a wheelchair, you know, some something like that. And, and when I ask them why, they say things that baffle me. Like, well, the, the drugs don't work as well in that stage, which, as I share with you, I disagree with. And I, I think yes. the reality we is were just less talking sexy about to that doctor. Yeah. You know, yes. all the news. We were just talking about that. But, but, but for me, I think there's a different kind of sexy. You know, mm -hmm. if someone is in a wheelchair, let's hypothetically say, okay, so let's pick someone who is... Mm -hmm. 78 years old in a wheelchair, okay, and and they have MS. There's a lot that we can do to make their life more awesome. Taking care of a bladder problem, preventing decubitus ulcers, getting involved in a stretching regimen, making sure that we're doing a water-based aerobic therapy, making sure that we're swallowing safely, improving mood, improving energy levels, mm -hmm. optimizing hand function. I mean. All the things that I just mentioned are really, really, really important. And they're not less important because of a chronologic age. They're not less important because the person is seated. And when you improve their quality of life and, and, and also slow down their disability, they are excited about that, as they should be. That's, right. that's a different kind of sexy. Right. Wow. But it's still sexy. Yes. Yeah, I mean, because Dana was just saying to me, she was like, okay, so let's say a newbie comes into a neurologist's office. Are they going to spend yeah. more time with the newbie versus someone who is, you know, 56 years old and at secondary progressive? You know what I mean? Are they just going to like push them along and say, well, oh, I'm not going to spend time? Mm -hmm. You know, most of the medicines that have come out on the almost actually almost all, all the medicines that have come out um, for MS are tested mm -hmm. largely in patients early in their disease process. There's not a, there's not very much research actually, which targets 50 something, 60 something, 70 somethings. And yet every single right. person, God willing, is going to visit those decades of their life, you know? And, and so I think there's reasons culturally, you know, if you're enrolling for a clinical trial, if you're a doctor doing a clinical trial, you know, you're looking for patients 18 to 55 mm -hmm. who have had MS for less than X number of years. Um, that's the, excuse me, that's the criteria for the trial. Fine. That's great. And do I want to do that? Yes, I want to do that. But does it make your example of a 56-year-old with secondary progressive MS less important? Absolutely not. It, it, absolutely not. And, and the things that we might right. focus on might be different. 
or the, you know, we might spend more time with some of the right. symptomatic concerns because they have more of them, let's just say, mm -hmm. but, right. but, but it doesn't make it less important. Right. We, we want to say we... like, I'm too sexy for my duck. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. That's yeah. That, Cause that's basically what we were saying. We were like, is it like, is it to use your words, is it more sexy for a doctor to say, okay, well, a chance, there's a chance of a new person having a full recovery versus someone at that stage, not right. really recovering at all. Yeah. You, you know? know, I mean, oh, yeah. the, the elephant in the room or the elephant on the phone call might be the fact that we can impact inflammation right. better when someone's younger. Right. But if I meet you at age 56, or if together we've mm. aged and now you're 56, it doesn't mean that we can't help you. The impact of decreasing inflammation is less mm. robust. You know, so, so it's, if, if I quote, get a hold of end quote, a newly diagnosed young person with MS, what I might be able to do for the trajectory of their disease might be more impactful than someone that I quote, get a hold of end quote mm -hmm. at age 60 from a inflammatory standpoint, but it doesn't make taking care of the latter person right. less important. You know, if we had a time machine, none of us would be on this call. We'd be doing other <laughs> weird things. But, but if we had a time machine mm -hmm. as it relates to this discussion, sure, we would go back to the earliest point in the symptom onset and we would hit it right. harder with newer drugs, et cetera, et cetera. But that's, you know, that's not the world that we live in. Right. I mean, that, you know, that's science fiction. So, so in the real world, we meet people, I meet right. people where I meet them and and may, could we have done something different? I mean, maybe, you know, should I have asked that girl out in ninth grade? You know, could we have been happily married with six kids? Well, maybe, right. maybe but you know what? I'm not in ninth grade right. anymore. I don't even know where that girl lives. You know, I mean, you know, I have a happy family. I mean, so I guess my, my, my point here is we, we, if we focus on the human or that person's family, and we focus on trying to optimize them, whatever that needs to, needs to entail, I think we as clinicians are gonna do the right thing. And I, I don't want a patient to fall prey to this arcane cultural idea, wow, it's secondary right. progressive MS, so what's the point? I guess I might not, I, I don't even need to come in. What, what, are, they, mm -hmm. what are they gonna do? Nothing, you know? And that's simply not wow. true. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank oh, you. for sure. For sure. So, Dr. Boster, there are some new exciting things happening in your world. Do you want to share yes. with everyone? Oh, I would love to. Yes, yes. So, so I am um, I'm embarking on a really exciting adventure. We are um, a month and a half out from opening the Boster Center for Multiple Sclerosis, which is just really, really, yes. uh, you know, exciting for me. Uh, I'm starting a a private standalone MS clinic. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think the, the way that we will be able to help patients and families impacted by MS and the, the, the degree of personalization of the care that we'll be able to provide is really something that's got me like jazzed. Um, so yeah. I'm just tickled. Uh, and you know, it, it, it's, um, it's, it's been, you know, it's all encompassing. I mean, I wake up and I'm excited thinking mm -hmm. about it and I'm going to bed thinking about what I get to do tomorrow as, as we get ready to, to open our doors. Um, it's been, um, it's been an adventure and it's just going to continue to get more exciting, so quite exciting. honestly. Yeah. It sounds like it. 
I know. I'm, yes. I'm excited for you. This is this well, is thank wonderful. You. Um, we we have a we have a website uh, that it kind of showcases a lot of what's going on. And if it's okay with you, it's um, bostermms.com. So b-o-s-t-e-r-m-s.com. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm really proud of it. I think it does a good job of kind of sharing our thoughts and our philosophies and where we're headed. But, you know, in, in, as, I, as I made this transition from my, mm -hmm. my last uh, environment where I cared for folks with MS to this one, I, there was a lot of research that went involved. And, and, and I, I actually did a bit of touring around the United States looking at different centers and looking at different mm -hmm. um, practice models for, for how MS is delivered. And what I uncovered was not happy, right? So, so unfortunately, because of insurance constraints, many people are, many docs are relegated to seeing mm -hmm. patients every 15 minutes. And I assure mm -hmm. you, they're not seeing patients every 15 minutes because they think that's fun or awesome or good. Right. That's all they'll be reimbursed for. And so in order to make ends meet, um, they, they're seeing many, many patients very, very quickly. And, you know, last I checked, neither of you two are your <laughs> cars, you're humans, right. I'm not a factory, you know. <laughs> and so I, I do not want to care for people in that way. I think that to, to game out how to win, how to beat multiple sclerosis, which is a pretty complex condition, mm. it takes time. That's the substrate. And so, so in this new practice we're going to be taking less total patients into the practice and spending more time with them and we, you know we've cut out a lot of bureaucracy there's there's a lot of things that i think that we're going to be able to do in a fleet of foot fashion that i previously haven't been able to mm -hmm. and i'll give you a, a couple quick examples um i this sounds silly but i am really excited to mm -hmm. offer saturday clinics Say, so, well, you know, why, why do you want wow. to do that? Well, you know, every other weekend, we don't have the kids, you know, and on those weekends, I would love to be able to see patients on a Saturday. It's, it's a different feeling, right? It's a different experience. And for the, for the person who has um, weekday obligations, whether that be um, caring for someone or working full time or what have you, seeing someone on a Saturday yes. really makes a lot of sense. Um, we're mm -hmm. going to be offering a couple, uh, one to two nights a week, we're going to be seeing patients yeah. in the evenings. Same reason. It's a different yes. feeling. It creates a different opportunity. It, it, it frees up, you know. And so, uh, th you know, that sounds no. silly, but it's not to me. It's, it's something that I, I really am excited no. about. Um, another thing that I'm excited to do in this new environment is uh, the concept of group visits. Now, group visits are not a new concept, but they have not been remotely utilized anywhere near to their full potential. Mm -hmm. um, and, I'll, and I'll give you just a very quick example of what I mean. So if, you know, we, we see people in the MS space at some interval, mm -hmm. every six months, every three months, what have you. And there's a lot of details that have to be discussed during those clinic visits. The MRI, you know, to harken back to our earlier conversation today, uh, doing the examination, reviewing all the medicines. You know, there's, a lot, there's a lot of things that need to be done. It's possible that a symptom which is bothering you might not rise to the top mm -hmm. of the discussion because of that. And sometimes I think things get relegated and pushed to the side, right? Which is not okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways of trying to grapple with that is to have a separate visit just to mm -hmm. talk about, and let's use bladder issues as an example, okay? Um, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but I have found that offering a symptomatic visit to a patient in a group setting actually does some really special things. I'll explain. So let's say that we decide that on, you know, a month from now, we're going to have a group visit on bladder complaints and MS, and we're going to take 10 patients. 
people are going to self-select to choose to do that or not. You know, someone that's not comfortable discussing PP in a group environment ain't going to sign up, which is perfect, right? Because they don't want to do it. But right. someone who's like, sheesh, I'll do that. You know, that sounds great. They, they, so, so you're already self-selecting a group of 10 people who are cool with the concept. Everybody consents. Everyone comes in. And typically this is something we'll do, you know, towards the end of the clinic day or on a weekend. I meet with each person, do a quick neuro exam, review their medicines. You know, we talk to them individually and then everyone gets into a group setting in a room. And then I deliver a didactic cool. about bladder. And because the words that I say right. are the same each time I say them. And so mm -hmm. I deliver that section as a, to the group. And then we start to go around the room and each person is given an opportunity in a group in public to share their um, questions and concerns. And what I've found is by the time you get to the third person, yes. someone's saying, yeah, that was my question also. And, and then at the, yeah. at the end of the two hour visit, we break up, we break off. And I, again, see each person for a quick five minutes. Right. We write any prescriptions that need to be written. We make any referrals that need to be made and we wrap up. And in a period of two hours, 10 people have their concerns of bladder addressed but more importantly, they yes. discovered a, a community of people that have the same questions, have the same problems, are dealing with the same things. Yes. And that piece of empowerment yes. is really what I'm going after here. And I think that's very, very special. Um, and so it's just another example of some of the things that I'm really thrilled about, about putting into, putting into practice. Yes. Um, I'll, I'll share one yeah. more with you because you're, <laughs> you're so nice to me. Um, but the, 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 the other, an, another thing that I'm really excited about, you know, I'm, uh -huh. you know, that I love me some social media. You know, I, I think that, that it's an awesome tool for education and for community building. Uh, and I thoroughly enjoy, I look forward to when I get to do these, mm. um, ask me anything live streams where I jump on YouTube and people jump on and they ask me questions and I answer them on the fly. And, and I, I enjoy that quite a bit. And I'm, I'm committed to continuing to do mm. that. You know, I do that on my YouTube channel once a month or once every other month. But for the patients that are in my clinic, we're going to be doing mm. closed live stream Q&As. Um, and so it's just wow. for the people in the practice. Right. And it's not medical advice. It, again, it, it, it's not instead of a visit. It's just another touch point with your doctor where, you know, you can jump online and say, hey, does anybody mm. ever talk about itching with this medicine? And then I, you know, and then whoever's online in that close. So, so these are just a few of the, the offerings that, that I think the Boster Center for MS is, is going to be able to provide in a way that yes. provides significant value. So, so I'm, I'm just tickled about it. Um, not to mention that the location um, is, you know, there's a lot of things about central Ohio that are beautiful and our forests can take the Pepsi <laughs> challenge with anywhere around the country. This, this clinic oh, wow. backs up to a state park. And so all the clinic rooms uh, and all of the infusion rooms, which are private rooms, all have floor to ceiling wow. windows that look out over the state park. They look out over the forest. And, and there's actually a zip line. This is, I noticed this the other day. So with, with the leaves off the trees, you can see the zip lines. So I just think it'd be wow, really fun. You right. can sit there and get your, your MS therapy in a private room, staring at the forest. And every once in a while, watch some <laughs> crazy person zip across the window, you know, as they, as they, as they do their zip line training or what have you. So I, 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 I feel really, really 
um, grateful that I, that I get to do this and I am super thrilled. Um, so if anybody's interested, yes. check out the, the Boster um, that website and it's got, you know, pictures yes. and it's just, it's an so exciting, exciting time. Absolutely. I mean, you, you sold right. me. What did Tom Cruise say in that movie? You, you had me at hello. Yeah. You sold me at group, at, I love at it. group visit. I love it. I, well, it, you know, it's just, I, yeah. you know, lar large healthcare systems are awesome. Um, and, and I worked in some, some fantastic, uh, big healthcare systems and, and I think that's a great way to deliver care. However, mm -hmm. there are some limitations, you know, and, and that doesn't make them good or bad. That just is the reality of the situation. And so I think being, um, fleet of foot, not being attached to a large healthcare system, uh, opens up some doors that I am really mm -hmm. excited about. Yeah. Yay. Well, I, I have a quick question, Dr. Boss. For sure. When you, you mentioned okay. something about intimacy. Dana and I, in the next few months, are going to have a whole like topic about a whole series on dating and MS and intimacy Hell because yeah. really nobody's talking about yeah. it. And I right. mean, like we are still young right. and at that age where right. that's a possibility. Yeah. It may Amen. not be happening. Amen, my sister. I, 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 think, I think that's a beautiful conversation. Um, I, I look forward to uh, oh, listening yes. to the dialogue and if invited to participate, would love to share my, my perspectives or, you know, what I've, you know, I, I will never forget um, a, a young woman came to see me. I, I've been helping take care of her for many years now. And, you know, it was just the two of us in the room. She looked at me and says, can I ask you a question? When do I tell mm. this new guy I have MS? You know, and, and right. it wasn't, we hadn't talked about the fact that she was dating someone or had just started to talk to someone, but it mm -hmm. clearly was on the top of her mind. And, and, and it really gave me right. pause and it's an awesome question. Um, and it deserves, it, right. there's no quick answer. Like, well, you know, at 1132, that's when you tell them. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. you know, or on date one and a half, you know, 30 minutes into the second, <laughs> you know, and, and it probably at the end of right. the day is different for each person and different for each couple. But again, it goes mm -hmm. back to this whole concept of self-advocacy and, um, and how and when you share. Uh, I, think it's, I, I think it's delightful. Um, and, and I think that, you know, right. we only get to do this once, this whole living life thing. We only get to do it one time. Um, and some of us um, mm -hmm. ended up having things happen to them that we didn't choose. You know, and, and, and yet we still want to live our best lives. And so I think that intimacy, mm -hmm. dating cuddling, kissing, you know, right. these are important things, the important aspects of life. And so I think it's fantastic that you're going to be talking about them. Yes. And thank I you. Uh, volunteer to interject yes. my opinions. <laughs> no, I, we would love to have you. No, I hope Dana's no. not over here cringing because yes. I, no. I, I let the cat out of the bag and that we did really. Oh, okay. Well, I think, you know, I think <laughs> if, if yeah. people are listening, they should appreciate the, the, the magnitude of what it is that you're offering, because this is not, right. you're right. This is not discussed enough. It's not discussed enough, um, you know, and, and it should be, um, and it's, you know, having, having MS mm -hmm. is nothing to be ashamed of, you know, having MS is nothing to, um, to, uh, feel bad, uh, um, about mm -hmm. in the respect that, oh, I can't tell my church. I can't, you know, I mean, and, and still there are so many people that I interact with that, that are, they're torn apart inside and they do. I, I, I have mm. patients that choose not mm -hmm. to tell their spouse. I'm serious. They don't tell their, their first degree relatives that they have the condition. Right. You know, I have other patients that have tattooed the words on their body. 
Um, right. You know, and those are extremes uh, on a spectrum again. Um, mm -hmm. but, but I think, you know, we, each one of us has to figure out how do we share um, where we're coming from. Uh, you know, on a, on a, on a similar vein, um, a friend of mine recently entered into the modern dating world, uh -huh. which translates into using like, you know, like eHarmony or some computer program, right? To, to get matched up to, mm -hmm. and, and he has, mm -hmm. um, he's been divorced, not once, but two times. And he, his question um, was, when do I tell the person this? You know, and, and, and right. again, there's no right answer right. on date three after dinner, you know, <laughs> but, but, but it's, these are in, in, in it, any person grappling with a chronic condition, multiple sclerosis or what have right. you is going to have very similar questions. So something that needs to be discussed. So your viewers and your listeners are very lucky. I would submit to be able to participate in, in, in this kind of conversation with you guys. Well, thank you. And, and your patients and everyone that you touch are lucky because you are an extraordinary, I wouldn't even say MS specialist. You're like the, the one of a kind. Well, you're, you know, <laughs> well, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're very sweet. And, you know, and I joke lies and flattery will get you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the reality is, I mean, I think, you know, both of you uh, could go about your lives and not take time out of your day to try to raise awareness and, and to have these discussions and to, and to help people understand. You, you, don't, you don't have to do that. And, and yet you do. And, and, and maybe in a similar fashion, you know, I could, I could take care of patients and come home, but I think all three of us share a desire to take it to the next level. And, and you know, if, if I can see, let's say 16 patients in a clinic day or whatever, right? I hope that I've improved 16 uh, families. That's my hope. Right. But if, if we can touch a hundred people on this podcast, maybe they're all in cities I don't live mm -hmm. in. And, and the idea that I could help them by giving them a nugget of information or a way of thinking about something differently, to me, that is so beautiful because I, I'm not afforded the opportunity to impact their lives in, in the traditional clinic way. And, and that makes that, that really makes this very, very important. I feel. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So go yes, us. Exactly. Well, yeah, I'm, that's right. I'm so sorry. There's a, that squealing is a tea kettle. Tea kettle. Forgive me. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, uh, sorry no, problem. no problem. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Boster. Yeah. We really appreciate it. And we're gonna definitely reach out to you when we get to our, sex dating intimacy series hopefully you will join yeah, us there you go. i love it i love it I, i'm excited and you know and and it, it, it's you think about quality of life amongst adults i mean right up at the top of the list is a good meal and and, and getting lucky. Oh, right I mean, right, right. I mean, let, let's just be honest yeah. so, so that's so, true so i will look yeah. forward to that and and again thank you so much for having me on the podcast your podcast is really coming into its own um I was so excited and impressed by what you did last year. And I think 2020, you're going to tear it up. Thank so you. I'll look forward to meeting with you soon. Yes. Thank you guys. Thank Have you. a great rest of your you day. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can always subscribe to us on YouTube. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.